you. This is Cruise Radio Rewind. Real reviews from real cruisers. Welcome to this weekend's episode of Cruise Radio Rewind. Today's show, Matt Hotchberg from RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com answers a couple of questions. One about their whole refund, future cruise credit, cruise with confidence policy. Also, What's the difference between a Quantum class and a Quantum Ultra class ship? Matt will drop by to tackle those two questions in just a little bit. And cruise expert Stuart Sheeran from CruiseGuy.com is here to answer a few of your listener questions. You could always send your questions in via email or voice memo to Doug at CruiseRadio.net. We'll jump right to Stuart. Hey, man. Hey, Doug. How you doing? Good, man. Got a few listener questions here for you. The first one from Dan. When a ship is said to be 130,000 times what exactly does that mean? It can't quite possibly mean that the ship only weighs 260,000 pounds. No. Uh, the, the tonnage is called gross registered tonnage, which is the measurement of the interior volume. It is not about the weight. So when a ship is said to be 130,000 tons, but typically it's, uh, it's, it's almost half of what the gross registered tonnage is, which again is the interior volume. Okay, so like with the Oasis class ships, they're two hundred and what twenty five. Two hundred twenty five to two hundred and what twenty eight thousand tons. They are. I, I remember because that was one of the first ships that in over thirty one years that I saw that actually disclosed what the displaced tonnage was. Mm-hmm. And I remember on Oasis of the Seas, they they said the, the displaced tonnage was about a about one hundred and fifteen thousand tons. To give you an idea. The, the largest aircraft carrier in the world, the displaced tonnage of that fully armed right now is, is around 100,000 tons. All of the Oasis-class ships are heavier and um, you know carry more people than the world's largest aircraft carriers. Next question comes from Marcy. We are seeing cruise lines like Princess move a lot of inventory to the West Coast in the coming years. Could that be a sign of what's to come with so many islands having different protocols post-pandemic? Absolutely not. Uh, we're actually going to probably see, unfortunately, some of the ships that are on the West Coast moving to the East Coast. You know, there are certain issues that are going on in California, but we're going to see some reductions in fleets, like Carnival, for example. Um, they could be losing one or two ships. You know, they're also making way on the, on the East Coast. They're also, you know, a lot of the cruise lines, like Princess, for example, are making room for their newer ships to make their arrival on the East Coast. So they have to move some of their older ships to the West Coast. Yeah, because we're starting to see Caribbean plans, but nothing on the West Coast yet, correct? You're very correct, Doug. And, uh, you know, right now they're trying to pick a point and start it where they're going to be able to get the most, you know, the highest response. But, uh, you know, there's certain issues that are going on in California that are you know, going to make that a little bit slower to, to resume, but you know, right now they, you know, they, they, the lines have to start somewhere, and um, the, the Caribbean is always the easiest. But I think we're going to wind up starting with shorter sailings to fewer or no ports to start with. So we could see itineraries that, that have private islands mm-hmm. that may not have countries yet. Next question comes from Jamie. What's up with all the fantasy class ships leaving the Carnival Cruise Line fleet? A lot of us cruisers, myself included, love these smaller 2,000-passenger vessels. Do you think it has to do with them not having aft balconies? No, I I don't think uh, it has absolutely anything to do with the aft balconies that uh, some of the the fantasy class ships added um, over the years. Uh, It just has to do with those are the oldest and they are the least efficient 
ships in their fleet, and uh, it's it's time that they move on as they try to be more environmentally friendly, and also the cost to operate these ships becomes uh, higher uh, as the ships age. So uh, it's unfortunate, but uh, the you know the fantasy class ships are uh, on their way out. When you say least efficient, does that mean they may burn more fuel than say a newer ship would? Well, fuel and operational costs. Mm-hmm. The next question comes from Bill. Do ships that sail in China have the same rules as ships that sail in the U.S.? Such as, does that ship, or at least part of the ship, need to be built in China in order to sail throughout that country? Bill, that's a great question. Um, We can uh, pick that one apart. Believe it or not, the Jones Act is one of the most, you know, misconceived uh, discussions because it actually has nothing to do in relation the cruise ships. Uh, the Jones Act, has, uh, which came out in 1920, has everything to do with merchant shipping, but it has absolutely nothing to do with cruise shipping. Cruise shipping has to deal with the Passenger Vessel Services Act of 1886, which essentially prevents um, companies from transporting passengers between U.S. ports unless they are registered in the U.S. and U.S. cruise. So uh, China has you know, has its its own laws. You know, they they essentially can, I guess, make them up as they go along. But um, they they don't have uh, any any issues of sailing. You know, between Chinese Chinese ports, but uh, they they do sail to different companies. But right now, as with the United States, uh, as um, Aida uh, said, they were when they start out of Germany next month in August that they are going to be sailing, but they are not going to be visiting any ports. As far as, you know, China goes, you know, the, the, the Chinese passengers want to visit various ports. You know, they, they have been sailing to, let's say, South Korea, but that uh, was stopped because of political issues. And um, But uh, the, the bottom line is that uh, they don't have uh, similar uh, shipping laws that uh, like the U.S. does. So, like, just to clarify here, like, Majestic Princess was built over in Italy, and all of that ship was built in Italy. There was no rules or regulations. Like, it could go straight to China and just sail throughout China all year if it Correct. wanted to. As, as was Norwegian Joy. Okay. And as was, you know, with dealing with several of the Royal Caribbean ships. Mm-hmm. And then with Pride of America, um, NCL ship over in Hawaii was being constructed. Did part of that ship have to be built here? Well, it was originally being constructed here mm-hmm. uh, for another company that, after 9/11, went out of business. So NCL was able to uh, buy, purchase the hull, pick up exemptions. They they had the hull of the ship towed to Germany, where the ship was essentially built and completed. It is a U.S. registered ship, and it is a U.S. flagship. It is crewed majority by U.S. crew members, and um, it can sail between U.S. ports unlike foreign flag vessels. So it can sail from Honolulu around the Hawaiian Islands. They'll get you know almost 100 hours in port in seven days, while a foreign flag ship sailing from the west coast of the U.S. will sail for 15 days and will get about 55 hours of port time. I've never done Hawaii. What did you think about the ship and itinerary? It's a good ship, mm-hmm. but uh, you're going for the experience in the, in the Hawaiian sure. Islands. Uh, I've done it a few times. Um, first, Hawaiian cruise I did was on Pride of Hawaii, which mm-hmm. is now Norwegian Jade, and um, it was a it was a very nice experience. I've, I've done Pride of America a couple of times. Um, they do um, routinely update the ship, and um, but it, it's it's a great way to to visit all the islands. 
Last listener question is from Tim. Hi, Doug. I'm not trying to be snarky at all, so please don't take it that way. When we see cities like Key West fighting the cruise lines to limit capacity and ship size, is that a vocal minority or does Key West really not place any value on cruise passengers? It's kind of offensive given my family spent over $1,000 there in February on a half-day fishing charter and jet ski rentals. It's a great question. Um, It is a vocal minority. It is a small group of people, environmentalists, that uh, really don't understand the industry at all and what a significant impact it has on the local economies. You know, we, we read over and over again, Doug, where, you know, you, you read people that are in the community that, that think that the, the cruise lines are the ones that are putting these shore excursions together when it's not. They are buying and, and hiring co- local companies to, that, uh, that put these shore excursions together. So there's, there's a lot of people whose jobs depend on these cruise ships, these shops that are there generating all kinds of, of income and jobs in the local economies there um, are greatly dependent on these cruise ships to come in there. So unfortunately, it's a local uninformed minority that is um, you know, creating you know, some havoc um, because of the number of signatures they got. They had to put it on as a referendum. Um, I definitely don't think it's, it's going to pass. And uh, I think uh, cruise ships and uh, cruise passengers are going to be able to enjoy and the local economies are going to be able to reap the benefits for time to come. Before I let you go here, how are cruise prices looking into 2021? Well, I mean, bookings are, are pretty good. I mean, you've got a lot of people on canceled sailings that are using those future cruise credits to rebook. But um, so when I'm you know, discussing this with analysts, they're, they're saying, well, why aren't the bookings as robust let's say for 2020. And my response is very simple. Um, the cruise lines don't know when they're going to be able to restart. Why are, you know, the cruise path, there's a huge amount of pent up demand of cruise passengers willing to book. They're willing to sail tomorrow. If they can just get some definitive inkling as to when, you know, they're going to be able to restart, where they're going to restart from, so that they can go ahead and make the reservation. For example, if you know we saw when Carnival had tentatively you know made, made plans for August uh, resumption of service, there was a there was a good surge of of people that were willing to sail. They didn't care where they sailed out of, and they may not have been your typical Carnival passengers, but they were just desperate enough to want to go, um, you know, really anywhere. Um, so we're, we're, as soon as as soon as we see those schedules come into play. We'll see a huge sur- a huge wave of bookings for those available sailings. But as far as pricing, because of the they're going to be restarting with fewer ships, Doug. There's going to be a higher demand for those available cabins, which means that they are not going to be reducing their pricing at all in order to fill their ships. Gotcha. That makes total sense. We've been talking with Stuart Chiron, the cruise guy from cruiseguy.com. You could also follow him on Twitter at cruiseguy. Thank you, man. My pleasure. All right, let's jump over to Matt Hotchberg from the Royal Caribbean blog.com to answer two questions. Matt, thanks for coming on the show today. Uh, what are the major differences between a quantum class ship and a quantum ultra class ship? Thanks, Doug. Good to hear from you again. And what are the differences between the quantum class and the quantum ultra class? Ooh, good question. So the answer is, we don't really know. <laughs> what do I mean by that? Well, Odyssey of the Seas, as you may or may not know, was supposed to be the second quantum ultra class ship. And with Spectrum of the Seas being the first, certainly we should know an answer of this, right? Well, not exactly, because two issues. Number one, 
Spectrum of the Seas, the first quantum ultra-class ship, was designed for Asia. And when it comes to ships designed for Asia, at least with Royal Caribbean, is that doesn't necessarily mean what we see for that vessel is what we can expect for ships outside of Asia. And of course, Odyssey of the Seas, the second quantum ultra-class ship, is, or was, or going to be, <laughs> designed for North America and Europe. So basically, what we know about Spectrum doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be exactly what we find on Odyssey of the Seas. Now, Spectrum of the Seas embrace a couple things that, again, maybe for the Asian cruise market, maybe not. But they had an idea of, of, of expanded concept of a ship within a ship concept similar to the Haven on Norwegian. And this was, again, something that we haven't seen on any other ship so far. And it, it really embraced that concept. Obviously, there's going to be special dining venues that were marketed towards the Asian cruise market, expanded casino. This is pretty typical of ships that go over to Asia. And when it comes to Odyssey of the Seas, well, I think because of the whole COVID-19 thing, we haven't really heard a whole lot more about specific details about what makes the Quantum Ultra class ship very different. At the very least, it is a larger ship. It's going to be just physically larger than a regular Quantum class ship, similar to how the Freedom class ships are larger than the Voyager class ship. So that's kind of what we know there. Beyond that, there's not really many other differences that we're aware of currently. Royal Caribbean hadn't released every single detail about Odyssey of the Seas and what we can expect there. But uh, so far, we can expect a bigger ship than, say, an Anthem of the Seas or a Quantum of the Seas. And perhaps some other changes on board. Uh, it remains to be seen what that'll be. All right. And Sally has a question asking the difference between Royal Caribbean's lift and shift program and just opting for a future cruise credit. Basically, when you have the choice of doing either a future cruise credit or a lift and shift, you got to look at it as the time period we're talking about. Future cruise credit is a cruise credit you get that you take. It's a voucher. You get to use that whenever you see fit up until the, of course, the expiration date of that voucher, right? So if you want to apply it towards a cruise that is sailing next month, next year, uh, even maybe even 2022, you can do that. That's the flexibility you get with there. Lift and shift allows you to take your, well, now canceled booking and take it to a any sailing within a, a year from the original sale date, plus or minus four weeks, so either four weeks before or four weeks after. And the advantage here is that you get to price protect your booking. So what that means is if you booked your cruise in 2020 and it was, you know, I don't know, $3,000, right? And you're looking at 2021 cruises a year from now, and those prices are higher, which is pretty typical. Usually as you move forward, prices go up over time. You actually get to retain the price you paid for that 2020 cruise, as well as any booking promo. So if you had kids sale free, that comes with it as well. So that means the price you paid for that 2020 cruise carries over to 2021. Now, there are some limitations to lift and shift. Namely, it of course, it has to be within a, uh, exactly a year from your original sale date, plus or minus four weeks. It has to be the same type of itinerary and also the same length of sailing. So if it was a seven-night sailing, it's got to be another seven-night sailing. You can't mix and match. You can't go from Alaska to Europe or Western Caribbean to Australia, as an example. It's got to be the same type of itinerary, the same length, so the same amount of nights on your cruise. And uh, yeah, so there's more limitations there, but the primary advantage of lift and shift is you get to keep that original price that you paid. So hopefully that makes sense. And Yes, it does. Matt Hotchberg from RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. Thank you, buddy. Doug, have a great summer. Enjoy. I'm sure you'll be having plenty of White Claws 
by the pool. I know that's how you roll, my friend. Have a good one. There's no denying that I like the claw. And uh, I do appreciate every beer brand in the world coming out with their version of the claw, too. Gives a lot of options there. Thanks again, Matt. Matt Hotchberg from Royal Caribbean blog there. My name is Doug Parker. Thank you so much for making Cruise Radio Rewind a part of your day. And we'll talk to you on Thursday. Take care. During these difficult times for the travel industry, Cruise Radio stands behind the men and women who work so hard to bring our vacation dreams to life. From the captains and crew to travel agents, tour operators, vendors, and port employees, we offer a sincere thank you on behalf of the thousands of guests whose lives you impact each and every day. 